Private credit has exploded over the last 10 years. It's up about 2% of aggregate capital that leveraged companies borrowed in 2012. Now it's more than 20% according to Bank of America analysts. It's grown to over $1.3 trillion of assets under management, outpacing the syndicated market. I'm Peter Antoshik, host of Private Market Talks. Joining us today is Dan Piertzak, who is the co-head of Private Credit and a portfolio manager for KKR's private credit funds and portfolios. With over $186 billion of assets under management in credit and $76 billion in private credit, KKR is one of the world's largest players in this industry. Dan is Chief Investment Officer of the KKR FS Investments Joint Venture and Co-President and Chief Investment Officer for FS KKR Capital Corp, which trades on the New York Stock Exchange. Dan talks to us about his career, the importance of culture in building an investment team, and the challenges of deploying capital in these uncertain times. He'll also give us a peek into the future with his predictions for 2023. And now, Private Market Talks with Dan Piertzak. Dan, thanks thanks for being well, thank here. Thank you for having me. Andy Roddick and Patrick McEnroe were supposed to play, and two other tennis players are supposed to play a pickleball tournament for a million dollars. Well, I think Tom Brady and LeBron were one of those who were buying pickleball teams. They're, they're investors, definitely. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to do a, a KKR Proskauer pickleball okay. tournament. Okay, we'll take up. <laughs> you have too short. many athletes over at KKR. Everybody <laughs> seems to be really good at tennis, really good at golf, and Proskauer, we don't have anybody like that. I'm really excited that you're our first guest on this podcast, so thank you for for doing this. Before we get started, I wanted to ask you the following question. Business Insider recently recognized you as a power broker in the private credit industry, one of the top 20 power brokers in the industry. They recognized you as one of the most influential private credit executives and top deal maker to watch. I'm wondering what special powers come with that? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sadly, I think not a lot. No, it was a nice recognition. Uh, to be honest, I think, I think it's it's a big testament to how we've grown and built our team out, you know, over the last you know seven plus years I've been at KKR. So, I think it's a good recognition for for the business. But sadly, no uh, no real special powers. Well, I think it's it's it is an amazing accomplishment, and it certainly didn't come uh, without a lot of work and effort. Hmm. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what your journey has been to end up as private credit at uh, KKR. Yeah. I mean, probably a little bit non-traditional in some ways. I mean, I, I, I grew up in uh, in southern New Jersey, so not that not that far away from Philadelphia. Really into a family, though, of like plumbers and carpenters. So, you know, no, nobody had actually gone to, fa- to college in, in my family. Um, went to Lehigh, was fortunate to, to sort of go there, studied accounting. Um, you know, got a job at Price Waterhouse. Felt like that was a you know the great way to go. Um, it was a good experience. You know, those accounting firms are great training grounds. They let you do things that, at a young age, that you probably shouldn't be doing. You know, in terms of you know, work and meeting folks and you know meeting company executives. But you know, in that sort of time there, I got exposed to banks and financial companies, and it was natural for me to. I think want to go work in that, right? So I, I left PwC, went to CIBC, you know, late 90s, kind of early 2000s. It was a very, I think, good entrepreneurial sort of flat investment bank, really driven by a lot of senior executives who used to be at Drexel. 
I was part of a group that was a structured finance group, but we were doing a lot of our senior secured transactions for, you know, single B, double B names who might have been sort of asset heavy. So that was really the start of, of a liquid credit. You know, so I've been doing a liquid credit now for, you know, 20 plus years. You know, from CIBC, sort of ultimately make my way to, to Deutsche Bank where I was there for 10 years. And my career had a little bit of a twist. Like I was 10 years New York, 10 years London, and now essentially sort of five years back in New York. You know, left uh, Deutsche in the middle of 15, you know, started at KKR the, the, the beginning of, of 16. And then it's, you know, we've had a growth story at KKR, which has been great. Yeah, no, you hit it right at the right time when private credit was really taking off. And you've built a team, I think, of 120 yep. professionals. Yep. How did you go about building that team, and, and what do you look for in, in people? Yeah, I mean, so when I joined, it was 20 people, to put that in context. You know, some of it was new business lines, right? So we, we only used to do private debt or sort of corporate private credit. We've now got an asset-backed business you know, the doing kind of mortgages, consumer, other things, you know, still private credit, but that's, you know, that's 35, 40 people. We spent a lot of time thinking about how do we institutionalize the platform, right? So getting, you know, higher quality folks on the origination side, getting, you know, high quality seasoned experienced folks on a structuring execution underwriting side. We hired a, a couple of folks with a legal background to be on the investment team to help drive, you know, kind of documents and negotiating terms, which is extremely important. We build a workout team, we, we build a portfolio monitoring team, and we have 22 people today who actually have no new deal responsibility, who are focused on the portfolio. Mm -hmm. And I think they're yep. as, as important as, as, you know, anybody doing a new deal. It's a, it's a, Absolutely. it's a true sort of team environment. I think you got the standard things, you want people with good experience, you'd like people who come out of, you know, probably high tier, high quality firms. Mm -hmm. I think if you go beyond that, I think we're looking for people who are good athletes, you know, not in the, the true athleticism, but can do different things or have grown up doing different things. Sort of like the Bill Belichick model, could yeah. fit anywhere. And that didn't work that well for him this year, but the, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, really, because I think they're more dynamic and I think we're looking for people, specifically myself, you know they're gonna roll up their sleeves. I think this business is, is, has a lot to do with hard work and dedication and focus, and I think we're all, in, in a lot of ways, lucky to have these jobs, and my path was not traditional, right? So I think we, I think you like the, the folks who, who are gonna uh, really be kind of, you know, probably thankful to be in the role and gonna work as hard as they can to make sure they're successful. I think it's, there's, there's a grittiness yeah. uh, to it. Yeah. And I know that, because we've spoken to, about this a little bit, that culture, plays an important role. I know for our institution, Broskauer, culture is, we think, one of our secret sauces that mm -hmm. distinguishes us. And I know that it's important to you. And maybe you could describe you know, what you value in the culture and how you built that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, honestly, the, the culture of KKR was probably the biggest reason that I ended up joining KKR. It, it really is run as one firm. You know, we talk about sort of one P&L that was very important from you know to Henry and George from the time they started it, and that has continued. I mean, even as the firm has kind of grown. So I think that's been, I think that's been great. I do think that is our secret sauce. I mean, if if you think about just the private debt business, you know, to be good in the private debt business, you need good people, you need a good process, you need to make good decisions. But you know, what else do you have? I think we have some unique sourcing channels from using the overall firm. We can call you know the private equity team on any deal and help on diligence. Do you know the management team? You know, allows us to move faster right. and maybe win a deal or allows us to maybe avoid a mistake. You know, if a deal does go wrong, which is bound to happen in, in private debt, you know, we don't outsource that to our private equity folks because we have our, our own sort of team to do that. But right. again, 
who should we hire, good management team, industry lessons, et cetera. So I think the culture of that of the firm is, is paramount to us. Obviously, that flows into the team itself. And then I think if you dropped it down a little bit to the team level, all of the the sort of partners in, in the credit business, you know, have been focused on making it feel like a real team. Everything kind of has to work, right? You want your market position to be well or to be in a good yep. spot. You want investment performance, which is well beyond any one deal, yep. right? So you need to, and you want the information sharing. So I think you took the, you know, the principles that has been sort of at the core and the foundation of KKR and just kind of made them, you know, part of the team's everyday fabric. Turning to the private credit market itself, mm -hmm. one of the things I want to talk about with you and sort of the core of our conversation is how you are managing in the current market mm -hmm. environment. To put in perspective where we are today, could you take a, a few minutes and just describe for our listeners the private credit market, generally speaking, its size, and what have been the drivers of its growth up until this up until this point. Yeah, well, maybe even forgetting the size point for a second, just think a little bit of a, of maybe a journey. I mean, in some ways, you know, private debt's been around for a long time. I mean, think about there was there was BDCs around since, you know, probably the early 2000s, and they yeah. were sort of lending money. But it never had kind of size and sort of scale. Right? Yeah, I actually think of it as even earlier than that. Yeah. I, 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 when, I, when I was doing this, I was representing alternative lenders in commercial finance companies and yeah. you know stretch think about lenders, all those things you right? know all those yeah. things yeah. back in the early yeah. you know, so I, I don't think the concept yeah. is yeah. kind of new in that sense what what I do think you had was you know on the other side of the financial crisis you needed alternative forms of capital to come in and, and, and fill the voids from some of the things the banks were doing and you know the regulatory changes that sort of happened but I think the big driver in many ways was there's just been a lot of capital raised for middle market private equity, mm -hmm. right? And, and more and more dollars were going to that. These companies were getting acquired. They needed financing, you know, and, and the size of those companies generally would not allow them to get rated and go to the syndicated loan market or go to the bond market. So I think that was a big sort of driver. Then I think the other thing was a market acceptance of the product. I mean, we started a direct lending business at, at sort of DB and, you know, post the financial crisis. And you would have viewed it as a trade at that point. Mm -hmm. It was going to be get a lot of money to work in 09 and 10, and then it wouldn't be there. But that obviously didn't happen, right? right. It became a real sort of solid business. You know, COVID was probably a good stress test. You know, COVID itself, you know, in the financial markets lasted like 17 days and everything kind of right. rallied. But it was real stress on borrowers and lenders, right, and how you were going to fund things and how were you managing liquidity. And then very good companies went from a lot of revenue to no revenue. Right. To, to I think where it's gotten to today is is companies need to finance themselves. The syndicated loan market and the high yield bond market is never going to go away, but you know private debt is just another choice. Mm -hmm. And there are pros and cons to it. Pros being certainty of execution. You know your lender, and I think it's been available for larger companies now because on the private debt side itself, a lot more money's been raised, either institutional or in the various kind of wealth channels. And now. Five years ago, if there was a $300 million deal that somebody held, it was a big deal. Yeah, sure. Right now, you read about billion-dollar unit tranches. Right, right, right. So. But it also occurred at a time, I mean, the growth of the market, the development of the market occurred at a time, a very unique, almost Goldilocks moment of low interest rates, low inflation, high growth, high liquidity, in all asset classes yeah. were rising. Yeah. Um, but today, the world has changed. 
Yeah. And inflation gone up. There are rising interest rates, a recession. And there's a significant debate right now about how high the inflation is. Is it tempering? How high rates should go? Mm -hmm. Are, you know, how deep and how long the recession will be? I haven't even mentioned the labor, the supply, the war, the geopolitical risk with China. Yeah. And oh, by the way, the debt ceiling crisis. It seems yeah. like every day, there's a new challenge in this yep. environment. And I think nobody under 35 has lived through a market like mm -hmm. this. So I'm kind of curious when you think about the market today mm -hmm. uh, that you are deploying capital in and managing your portfolio, how are these are influencing? Yeah, well, I, I think, I mean, they're all real points and there was a bunch of sort of points in there. Yeah. Um, I mean, inflation is one of these things that impacts everybody, right? It impacts the consumer, it impacts companies. They're obviously not the same thing, but you know, inflation, supply chain, wage, you know, sort of challenges. They're all sort of in that bucket of of what I'll call sort of headwinds. At least on our side, I think we we do think about it in sort of maybe two different pieces, right? The there are new deals getting done today. You know, we're deploying capital. I actually think it's it's one of the best lending environments, you know, that I've ever seen sitting in a, in a private debt seat. So I think that's positive, right? The the absolute yields that you can earn are very high. They're probably four to 500 base points higher than they were a year and change ago. So that's- And that's with your existing portfolio. You know, that's just existing funds, but I'm talking about doing new deals. Doing new deals. Right? Yeah. But in a market like this, doing new deals, you're gonna be cautious and or conservative, right? It's our job to be defensive. We're focused on capital preservation. I think the bar for any new deal, while it is always high, just probably a little bit higher today because you're asking more questions. Right, and you're more focused on sort of things. All the points you mentioned are going to be, you know, as important, maybe more important though, for your existing portfolio. Right, those are loans you've made. I think we feel quite good about our existing portfolio. I think we positioned ourselves in defensive industries and sectors. I think over the years we've gone up on the private debt side size of company from a from an EBITDA perspective. You know, I think our last flagship fund, the you know, average EBITDA was 100. 102 million dollars, right? So these are bigger sort of names. I think we've seen those bigger names have more levers to pull if, if there is sort of a challenge. And obviously we don't have to invest in the market, right? We've got a big origination funnel. We're trying to pick and choose the deals we sort of do. So, you know, I, I think we feel good about that portfolio, but that said, I mean, there's gonna be pressure on, on revenue, right? Any company that has not been able to pass through prices is in a pretty difficult spot right now. I don't know that there's a, if there should be a debate, are we in a recession? Is there a recession coming? I think the answer to one of those questions or both of them might be yes, right? So you got probably a bumpy 23 kind of staring you in the face. And then what is key or what is king when you're a, a lender is cash flow. And cash flow has to be tighter because everyone's borrowing costs are up, you know, 350 sort of 400 base right. points, right? right? So, you know, I think undoubtedly you're going to see um, some stress in some names. You're going to see. Uh, more defaults. I think yeah. what the market does have going for us, and thankfully to folks like you, I think the documents of the private credit deals are quite strong. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to have challenges with things like collateral stripping, right? And, you know, the old lender on lender violence situations that are kind of out there. Why do you say that? Well, I think the market on the private and, debt and side. And if I, if I mean, yeah. let, let, just for our listeners' yeah. purpose, when we, when we talk about collateral stripping, yeah. just to s explain that a little bit, what we're talking about is as a lender, yeah. you have a collateral package. Your documents have certain covenants that permit 
certain transactions that the borrower can do and allow your collateral, your security, to leave your loan party group. Yeah. Some of the documentation today is more liberal and may allow more what we call leakage, collateral yeah. leakage, than other documentation. And we've seen in the syndicated market where some of that flexibility has been used by both sponsors and co-lenders to permit the infusion of liquidity in a manner that and or strips collateral from existing lenders and may elevate debt, i.e. a roll-up of existing debt in a manner senior to existing lenders. So that's what we mean by lender-on-lender violence. And your premises, that's a really a syndicated market issue, not so much private credit. Well, and, and that's a, a much better summary than I would have done. So thanks for that. <laughs> I, I, I think there are two reasons, though, and, and they're, they're, they're pretty rational in some ways. I mean, the, if you are investing in a loan in the syndicated market or a bond, there is liquidity there. So if you don't like how that credit is necessarily trending, you can sell that. Mm-hmm. You know, there have probably have been times out there where liquidity becomes pretty thin. But I think those loans or those bonds, because of that liquidity, can probably accept a little bit more of, of what I'm going to call these aggressive terms. Mm-hmm. And then I do think you have the, di- uh, the dynamic of how they're issued is a bit different. Right? You have a company getting bought, an investment bank is usually getting hired to underwrite that debt deal. Their job is to get probably the most aggressive deal that they can get right. for their sort of borrower. It gets sold into the market, but again, they're looking for relative value. I mean, I look at our own sort of you know leverage credit team and, and their track record's sort of tremendous, but they have liquidity if they don't like it to kind of risk right. management. Right. On the private debt side, the people doing the deals are the ones setting the terms, and they're going to own the deals. Yep. So I think there's there's just a different sort of dynamic up front. And then you have to view the private debt market as not having any liquidity. Our investors invest with us to get additional yield or additional sort of premium yep. for the fact that it is a liquid. So they've made the decision to invest in that. Mm-hmm. But we have a view when we make a loan, we're going to own it until it repays. Mm-hmm. Right, and if it you know doesn't repay its defaults, we'll have to deal with it. Yeah. So I think you have those two different sort of pieces, which has put a line in the sand where you know what if if a deal came in, even if we like the company, even if we had great faith in the in the owner of that company, if those terms were there, we probably just wouldn't do it. We see a lot of deals, right? We're yep. going to do the deals we want to do. So coming back to your view on your existing portfolio yeah. that you think it's resilient, are there particular sectors? that you are seeing some cracks in the armor or that you are particularly focused on or have a higher propensity for yeah. risk of default. Yeah. Well I think that I think the companies that are the most challenged now are the ones who were not able to pass prices along. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe you should have known that when you underwrote the deal. Maybe you thought they did when you underwrote the deal and it hasn't sort of played out. But that's where I think we've seen the, the most challenges. We've seen other companies that have done that had a bunch of challenges for a quarter or two, but put through seven, eight, nine price increases mm-hmm. and have now gotten through to the other side. So I think that's number one. Almost whatever business you're kind of in, people should be worried about consumer discretionary now. Yeah. Right? I mean, unemployment is at you know all-time lows. People are employed, so that's why I think the, the world feels okay right now. Yeah. Um, but you have to believe that that is going to change. There's a, you know, there seems to be a news article every day about some company, a lot of them have been sort of tech companies laying off a lot of people. Yeah. You know, how will that sort of, you know, sort of run through? And then you do know clearly going in, you know, what companies are cyclical. Mm-hmm. Those generally have lower leverage points up front. So you just have to sort of, you know, manage sort of through yeah. that. But I think 
between the pricing power, between thinking about, you know, where do you have risk on the consumer, and then where did you always expect it to cycle? That's where you're yep. sort of, you know, focused on. And you know, the public markets are very quick to recognize valuation compression. Yeah. The private markets lag naturally. Mm -hmm. So my question is: is has the private market priced in the decline in value that must have occurred? if it follows at all the public market, or maybe you'll say, no, that's not necessarily true. It doesn't have to follow. Well, so there's probably a couple of different answers there. So one, I think leverage levels are lower today than they were six or nine months ago, right? Because I do think valuations are going down, but they're not down as much as you would maybe think, but I mm -hmm. think they are you know, a, a, a bit lower. So on one hand, kind of yes. Um, you know, I, I think interestingly, as I said before, like there are deals getting done and you know, remember, private private credit, private debt is is generally catalyst driven, right? So there needs to be a company um, who's getting sold, and that's why it sort of needs financing. I think in an environment where valuation multiples all over the map, yep. it is sometimes hard to find the willing buyer and the willing seller yep. to kind of find terms. But you know, companies that is happening. I, I think in some ways it's actually the better companies because people always want to own these, you know, sort of crown jewels and the valuation multiples haven't changed that much on those. Mm -hmm. But yet I think the even there the debt multiples are probably a little bit lower. Um, but it'll flow through. Got right. it. So now turning to the new investment mm -hmm. opportunities. Where do you see growth opportunities in private credit? Yeah, I think the regular way private debt businesses will continue to grow, um, but I think that they're mature. And that will just be, again, I think there'll continue to be private equity dollars raised. I think there will continue to be mm -hmm. some people who prefer private debt versus the syndicated market. Again, those markets never go away, but that'll be the blend. Yeah. You know, we have spent a fair amount of time probably in two spaces that we, we like the growth story. One has been, I mentioned it before, our asset-based finance business. Yeah. So this has the same premise, privately originated, probably ne privately negotiated deals. You know, this was really... You know, the concept probably founded on the other side of the financial crisis. Yep. You know, banks used to own asset portfolios or originate those, securitize those, tranche those. Yep. Um, Volcker eliminated that. Risk retention rules eliminated that. They're still very active in the space of providing financing, but mm -hmm. not in the way they used to. So you needed people to come in and kind of fill that void. Mm -hmm. You know, there's also been more and more non-bank lenders out there who need capital from folks like us. Right, so that's been sort of a growth space. So, oh, interesting. You know, so our asset back business has, has. So you're financing other. Well, let's you, you, let's say that you know an auto lender started because the yeah. banks don't do auto lending as yeah. much, because of you know Cecil or sort of bank regulatory sort of concerns. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to need capital to fund that. So yes, they might be able to get senior capital, but they're going to need junior capital from people sure. like us. So I think that that's been a big driver. I mean, we have. We had no dedicated business attached to that in 2016. We've now got almost you know, 35, 40 people. We've probably got $37 billion of AUM there. Mm -hmm. It's up and down the capital structure. Some of it is, is senior risk. You know, some of it is more sort of junior risk, but it's all collateral heavy, yeah. right? These are generally portfolios of financial or sort of hard assets, right? Mm -hmm. So it runs the gamut of consumer, mortgage, transportation, finance, you know, sort of aviation, some, you know, risk transfer trades or, or transactions out of the banks, you know, even esoteric down to some royalties type streams, mm -hmm. right? So very broad market, maybe broader or bigger than corporate market. You know, I think we, we would estimate that sort of market size today, probably five, six trillion dollars going to seven, sort of eight. Oh, wow. okay. Now, a lot of those things aren't for us. 
but yeah. think about how big the mortgage market is yeah, yeah, as yeah. an example, right? So, so that's been a real growth area for us. We've raised, you know, dedicated, you know, flagship fund for that. Um, we've we've got a bunch of other, you know, SMAs or sort of other money, but we we like that a lot. And we're going to continue to grow that. I think we've got a really good team there to kind of drive that forward. And then, you know, the other piece has been sort of international, right? We've we've got a full blown and and very well built out European business. Yep. You know, Europe is always probably five years plus behind you know, the U.S. So I think you continue to see in Europe the amount of banks who are holding loans going down. Yep. So people like us will need to come in and sort of fill that void. So that's... And that's been an explosive market for private ex credit. Explosive. It's been even even more... It's been faster than even the U.S. in the time that it's, it's developed there. I think that's right. But And we've been there for a while. So that's really yeah, yeah. not... In our mind, it's just continuing that growth there. Yeah. The bigger growth story for us has been Asia. Mm. Right, we've um, we've developed an Asia credit business. Uh, we've raised a flagship fund for that. I think you just closed a fund. Just that, just closed you? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, focused on private credit. Yeah. A gentleman who was a senior person on 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 the U.S. team moved out there. You know, just to have a you know sort of a partner in charge of a business out there who knows the the yeah. home firm is is a great thing. And then you know, KKR as a firm has been very successful in Asia. So it wasn't sending out you know a person to go do something new. I think that's a whole. By the way, I think we could do have a whole separate yeah. podcast on just investing in Asia. Yeah. How you structure those deals, yeah. etc. Well, we it's, can it's, get we can get Brian a, Dillard for you. Yeah, no, it's it's a really. I think it's yeah. it, you know it, it is a, a massive growth area. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I don't think it's well understood at all. Uh, no, it's early days. It's early days. It's early days. Yeah. And I mean, I, we always kind of joke in some ways, you know, Europe is probably five years plus behind the U.S. I mean, yeah. Asia's behind that, right? Yeah. But I think it's a bank-dominated market, but think about the, the populations there. Think about how it'll evolve. It feels like a natural home for growth. So I think between, you know, the asset-backed space and that, those two pretty big areas of growth for us. And are there any sectors that you're avoiding? Inside of the private credit business, we're not focused on, you know, what I would call traditional energy mm -hmm. credit, right? It's commodity type risk. Got it. Um, it's hard to be a, you know, in a liquid lender for something that's that volatile. Yeah. It feels like if you're going to invest in that space, you want to be in a high yield bond where you can trade in and out of it, mm -hmm. or you actually want to be in the equity so you can capture the upside. Right. I think we haven't done that for, for you know several years now. I think that that's quite frankly important to us. You know, something like on the asset back side, I mean, we're, we're pretty focused on the consumer, but we're not gonna do deep subprime aggressive lending products, you know, something that's kind of usury rates, Yeah. right? That's just not in our playbook. Yeah. You know, so I think we're trying to stay away from things that where we don't like the risk. I'm not sure we like the risk in that subprime stuff either, but where we you know, wouldn't like the kind of the usury rate type. I think about more reputational sort of risk. Right, 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 right. right. So those are probably some of the kind of key no-fly zones, and there'd be a handful of others, but that's probably the two big ones. Well, we're in a period where, for, I, I would think, from an investor standpoint, where someone like you deploying capital, this, this can be full of opportunity, but full of risk. My question to you is, this is going to be a challenging two years for you. Yeah. And in the world of private credit, what do you think will separate the winners from the losers? Yeah. Other than just making bad sure. investment decisions, sure. you know. I'm excited about the the next two years mm. more than concerned. If you think about the kind of capital that we manage, it's longer term mm. locked up capital, right? The funds are private equity style, you know, the BDC sort of permanent capital. We don't do things that have asset liability mismatches. Mm. Right. So when markets are volatile, that's a good time for us. So I think excited about that. 
obviously need to be very focused and sort of you know concerned about the portfolio i mean that's the most important thing you have uh and we always joke on the on the you know the corporate side sometimes it's easy to make a loan sometimes it's hard to get the money back yes i always say the workout begins the day for the closing yeah i mean it's (laughs) it at least it has to start conceptually right so because of the team that we have you know those folks who are you know focused on um, either the portfolio or sort of otherwise, the team is you know laser focused on that. Nobody can just do a deal and goes away. People own risk on a cradle raise. So I think we'll have that covered. Clearly, we'll have some mistakes, right? You you can't be in this business and kind of not. You know, I I, I think that the it's like skiing. If you don't fall down, you're not skiing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, me and skiing don't like each other. That's a longer conversation. But I think the two areas where people have a chance to get hurt. Did they have a, a, a large enough or broad enough origination funnel up front? So they had the ability to just select the deals they wanted to do versus all kind of being forced in some ways, and I use that word loosely, mm-hmm. but where they didn't have the choice that they would want yep. or the selectivity, right? So I think ironically, I mean, the, the, the best way to protect against the workout is to pick the right credit. Yep. You want to, if you have you know, 100 deals to look at a month versus 40, I think you have a chance of making better decisions. Mm-hmm. And then the second one will, you know, do people have kind of built out teams? Right. I mean, I, you know, I keep on talking about the team on our side because I think that's how important it is and how yeah. critical it is. But, you know, these more challenged situations take a long time. Yeah. I think one of the things that is all was always hard for banks is they never wanted to make the hard decision. They never wanted to own the company. Yes. It was always kicking the can kind of down the road, yeah. right? You can't do that. You know, you need to maximize your recovery, mm-hmm. but do you have the people to do that? Do you have the people who are doing that, who are experienced in doing that? Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's going to be, I think those two points are going to be a little bit of the, you know, the separators. And then the third thing would be, did people spend enough time on portfolio construction up front? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, Direct lending is a capped return business, right? You know, I think the loans are really attractive at 11 or 12% today total in terms of total yield. If you have a low recovery rate on a loan that defaulted, it's it's not great. If you have several of those, it's not great. But if you had one for a larger position, it's really not great, right? So are you diversified in your funds, both by position size, but by industry? Yeah. Right, because this, you know, again, I, I view private credit, private debt as this is about protecting principal. It's about capital preservation. It's about trying to make make outsized returns. You know, versus what a traditional, you know, market traded credit product would be. But you really need to focus on that downside, and portfolio construction is a big part of that. Yeah, and and, and as you said, the, the workout piece is very time consuming. But one of the advantages that I think private credit, as an industry, has uh, it has flexible capital and. Yeah. I think one of the things that might separate winners from losers also is the capacity to deploy follow-on capital. I think that is one of the the aspects uh, to be able to provide that rescue financing Mm -hmm. to protect your position. And and if you have to take over the business and recapitalize it, those funds that have that available capital to do that will maximize their recoveries. Others, very difficult. I I think that's a really good point. I mean, there are some technicals out there which is not private credit, where pools of capital alone gets downgraded, they're almost forced to sell it, right? right? That's not great. Um, or if you're not able to put in that new money or own it, that's not great. Yeah. You want to be able to do just the right thing to create the best economic sort of outcome. Right. You know, the other thing I do think that you know, private credit has a bit of an advantage is 
generally these deals are either we're the sole lender, yeah. right, or we're you know one of just a few lenders in a deal. Yeah, makes it much easier to get to a rational outcome. Yeah, doesn't always have to mean you pound the table. I think we actually want to be a fair and commercial and responsible lender, but it's not an eighty-person lender group yeah. with potentially people who bought in at different prices. Yeah, right. This is people who were there from the beginning. Everybody wants the, the right and fair outcome, and it's just more commercial. Yeah, right. It's, I always like to say uh, in, in in that type of situation, it's much more likely that the resolution will occur in the conference room versus a courtroom. For sure, and that's a big deal. Yeah, right. That's a big deal, as it relates to, you know, there are a fair amount of sunk costs that just relate to a bankruptcy, yeah. and then the publicity of a bankruptcy can't be good for a company. And just disruptive, right? So if you take those kind of two things away, um, and it's in a conference room and not in the courtroom, I think almost by definition you'll get a better outcome. Yeah. Well, this is going to be an exciting two years, as you said, for private credit. Just to wrap up a couple of questions, yeah. I'm going to ask you to project yourself into the future five years and look back at the industry with perfect hindsight. Mm -hmm. What development in the private credit industry would surprise you? I think it would surprise me if people tried to raise capital that would have asset liability mismatches in there. In the most basic point, if, if you raised a pool of capital that the entire thing could be redeemed and you'd have to pay back your investors after one year, but your loans are five years and mm -hmm. your loans are not that liquid or saleable. I think the markets learn that, but in times of market frothiness, those things kind of pop up. Mm -hmm. But it would surprise me if that you know, sort of changed or evolved. And I think that's very different than just, you know, having a pool of capital that maybe has 5% per quarter or something you can manage that's mm -hmm. orderly. Um, I think that's perfectly fine. That would surprise me. It would actually, it would surprise me if the market shrank. I mean, I, I believe that the sort of annual growth rate sort of on average has been, you know, 13, 14, 15%. Right. Um, maybe it doesn't grow at that level because right, maybe just overall capital formation is lower. But I think it, I would be surprised if it didn't grow. So I think it's just becoming a more and more accepted product. Right. And, and as you said earlier on, the ability to continually move up market and deploy yeah. capital in larger chunks, as well as moving, deploying capital on a more global basis in new markets like Asia, et cetera, yeah. just creates tremendous growth opportunities, sure. I think. Sure. Dan, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts. I really appreciate this. It's been a good talk. Yeah. And to our listeners, thanks for investing your time with us. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you for having me.